Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African perspective, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolohoko, and Figlilingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, vote counting gets underway in Lesotho, Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe kicks off election campaigning, and Burundi, Burundians welcome East African community support. In economics news, Uber slammed for price surges during London terror attack, and in sports news, South Africa begin preparations for AFCON qualifier against Nigeria. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates have cut diplomatic ties with Qatar, accusing it of destabilizing the region. The countries say Qatar is supporting terrorist groups, including the Muslim Brotherhood. Saudi state news agency had closed, says it had closed borders, severing land, sea and air contact. It cited officials as saying it was to protect its national security from the dangers of terrorism and extremism. Egypt has also closed its airspace and ports for all Qatari transportation. Election officials in Lesotho are investigating why armed soldiers had been deployed at many polling stations on voting day. Saturday's election was seen as a two-horse race between Pagadita Musasidi and Tom Tabane, who have both previously served as the country's prime minister. The snap election was called when Musasidi lost a confidence vote in March after his seven-party coalition government broke up. The results due this week are expected to lead to a coalition government with Tabani seen as the narrow favorite to emerge as the winner. Saudi Arabia's foreign minister is expected to meet with his Egyptian counterpart amid efforts to resolve differences on the Syrian conflict and other regional flashpoints. In October last year, the Saudis halted oil shipments to Egypt after it voted in favor of a United Nations resolution favorable to the Syrian government. They were resumed in March before an Arab summit intended to express unity, during which Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and Saudi Arabia's King Salman held face-to-face talks. The two leaders also met during U.S. President Donald Trump's visit to the region last month. The South African Communist Party says the ruling ANC is in a state of paralysis, which is making the party ineffective. The party was speaking at a media briefing in Johannesburg following its Central Committee meeting ahead of the party's National Congress next month. It says a barrage of leaked emails, the apparent sheer scale of corporate capture and what it calls the parasitic plundering of public resources by the Gupta family are eroding the ANC's integrity. South African Communist Party's General Secretary Bladen Zimande says the ANC is headed for trouble if it does not self-correct. It is no secret that the ANC is now in deep crisis. 
At the highest national leadership level, it is paralyzed by deep divisions that for the moment render it incapable of undertaking the decisive corrective measures that the great majority of ordinary ANC members and supporters now clearly recognize as imperative, beginning with the stepping down of President Zuma. At this rate of decline, the ANC may not retain its electoral majority in 2019, and further organizational fragmentation cannot be ruled out. Police in Britain have been searching several properties in London as part of the investigation into Saturday's attack, which left seven people dead and about 50 others injured. Detectives are trying to establish if the three men who rammed their van into pedestrians before stabbing many others received any help. Eleven people are being held following police raids in East London. The BBC's Danny Shaw reports. Although the three men who carried out Saturday night's attack were quickly shot dead by police, investigators are trying to establish if they'd received support from others or belonged to a wider network. Two people told the BBC that they'd warned police about one of the perpetrators. One person said they'd call the anti-terrorism hotline. The suicide bombing in Manchester last month and the attack on Westminster Bridge in March were both carried out by individuals previously known to the authorities. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Our residents of Burundi's capital, Bujumbura, have hailed East African leaders for supporting Burundi, despite sanctions imposed by the European Union. In a march organized in the capital this weekend, marchers, mainly members of the ruling party, called on all EAC members to remain united against the EU sanctions against Burundi. Bernard Bankukira reports from Bujumbura. <laughs> Thousands of CNDDFTD ruling party militants from all neighborhoods of the capital took to the streets of Bojumbura to express their gratitude to the East African heads of state on their support to the government of Burundi over the economic sanctions taken by the European Union following the turmoil that broke out in April 2015. Carrying banners praising the AC heads of state, marchers crossed several areas in the capital city with songs hailing the daring President Pierre Nkurunziza who resisted all pressures and rebuking the Rwandan President Paul Kagame, accused of hosting ill-willed people who want to destabilize Burundi. Speaking to journalists after the match, Issa Desiré Mazimhaka, one of the three communal administrators of the capital Bujumbura, who led the match, thanked EAC member states for their standpoint against the EU-EAC economic partnership agreement that was to be signed without Burundi. For him, the EAC president showed that unity is strength. Cette manifestation c'est pour montrer la joie 
This match was to express our contentment and enthusiasm that the people of Burundi have, particularly the people of Bujumbura, who bore the burden of 2015 events. It is the people of Bujumbura who know how heavy is the burden imposed of them by civil society organizations. We are here to thank, first of all, the Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, the Tanzanian President John Pombe Magufuli, and the Kenya Vice President who well understood the overall situation of our country them who know the achievements of His Excellency President Pierre Nkurunziza. Today we cannot say the country is in crisis and thus the ESC counterparts have seen they cannot sign the partnership agreement between the European Union and ESC without involving Burundi. They resolved the sanction taken against Burundi should be lifted first and then the agreement will be signed. We have to praise those presidents. They are the most valuable men to us. What's more important is that unity is strength and we are here to support the unity of the East African community heads of state, unity that we want to last longer so as to resist against Europeans whom we want to understand that Africa of yesterday is not Africa of today. On May 20th, 2017, the AC heads of states sat in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, for their 18th summit, during which they expressed their support for Burundi, hit by economic sanctions imposed by the European Union. As they had to analyze the possibility of signing the EU-EAC economic partnership agreement, EAC heads of states resolved to hold on pending clarification of issues they have identified in the agreement. Among the key issues include the EU sanctions on Burundi. For the EAC heads of states, the sanctions are unjust, oppressive, and taken unilaterally in arrogant manners, while Burundi problem is an EAC issue that needs to be solved by ESC itself. We have a concern with the European Union. You take unilateral sanctions against Burundi when it is one of our members. Please, Burundi is our member and no action should be taken against it without our input. Our house is our house, declared the Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, the mediator in the Burundian crisis. He pleaded for the lifting of sanctions on his side. The Tanzanian President John Pombe Magufuli said he was ready to collaborate with the European Union on condition that it lifts its sanctions against a neighboring country. The European Union, whose aid accounted for 20% of Burundi's budget, decided to suspend its direct aid to the country in March 2016. Burundi is called upon to honor its commitments under the Cotonou Agreement, an agreement signed by African states, including Burundi on one hand and the European Union on the other hand, and which stipulates in Article 96 that the parties undertake to respect democratic principles, the rule of law and human rights. Burundi is accused of violating the Cotonou Agreement since the country fell into civil unrest following the decision of President Pierre Nkurunziza to run for a third controversial term. Fortunately, Africa, this is Bernard Bankokira reporting from Bujumbura. It's 8.10 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now the electoral officials in Lesotho are still counting ballot papers after Saturday's national election. The polls took place just two years after the previous one, as the Mountain Kingdom struggles with political instability. 
Prime Minister Pagadi Tamusisidi, who had been in power since 2015, lost the confidence vote in Parliament in March. Democratic Congress Party leader Musisidi's main rival is Old Basutu Convention head Thomas Tabane, who governed from 2012 until 2015. To give us the latest on this, we are now joined on the line by our reporter in Lesotho, Maseru Ntakwanangatane. Ntakwane, good morning and how are you doing this morning? I'm fine, Lulu. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You must be exhausted with all the developments uh, taking place. You. How's the vote yeah. counting going this morning? Well, Lulu, vote counting is going very slowly, but uh, that's what we expect looking at the previous years when elections were held in Lesotho. Uh, the Electoral Commission started uh, looking or rather publishing the results at the National Results Centre for midday yesterday, but then closed at around 6.30. And when they closed... 33 constituencies out of 80 had been uh, published, and out of those 33, uh, Tom Tabane's Obasutu Convention is leading with 27. Uh, the other five go to the joint pact of the Prime Minister's Democratic Congress, the Lesotho Congress for Democracy, that's the Deputy Prime Minister's Party, as well as the Popular Front for Democracy. Now, they formed that pact ahead of the elections and placed one candidate per constituency for those three parties. And the other constituency goes to Sidibe Motobarwane of the Movement for Economic Change. Now, he broke away from the Deputy Prime Minister's Lesotho Congress for Democracy to form his own party. And so it looks like he maintains that popularity. But another interesting fact, Lulu, uh, sadly for us women, the only woman political leader in Lesotho has lost her constituency, and that is Kate Lorenzo of the Reformed Congress of Lesotho. But of course, we're waiting for the vote of the national, uh, the national vote to determine which parties will then be allocated the other 40 seats through proportional representation. You remember that the Parliament of Lesotho has 120 seats, so the constituencies will make up 80, and proportional representation will make up the other 40. So we don't know. We might see parties that have lost on the constituency vote gaining some ground on the proportional representation, depending on how much votes they get nationally. Lulu? Now, Ntakwana, let's go back to Saturday when uh, voting was taking place in Lesotho. Um, there were concerns before vote day on the 3rd of June that uh, the army would be involved, but there were, um, uh, you know, uh, the leadership had said that only the army would only come in as, uh, uh, you know, uh, people who would deliver uh, voting material to areas that are not accessible um, by road or anything like that now on Saturday, um, the IEC chairperson in Lesotho, uh, Judge uh, Lehotla, had said that he himself had seen the army at uh, a voting station or a polling station, making um, you know voters nervous. And other people had also complained about the same thing. Chat to us about that, where the army became involved. And I know uh, you did mention over the weekend that uh, the police. Police had also said, mentioned the fact that they uh, asked for the army's assistance. Just take our, our listeners through that process. I think the most important thing Lulu, will be to uh, explain why it is that IEC chairperson would be shocked to see the army at voting stations. 
First of all, the opposition had requested SADC facilitator, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa, that like in 2015, where we saw the army staying in the barracks and the government then agreeing, uh, all stakeholders agreeing that the army would stay in the barracks during voting, except for delivering ballot papers with helicopters and helicopter pilots to hard-to-reach areas. Um, then the opposition requested the same thing with the SADAC facilitator. But also, when the SADAC um, observer mission launched just before the election, they also stressed that the government had in fact said to them that that's what would happen, that the army would only be involved with the uh, transporting of ballot papers. So when we spoke to the SADAC Executive Secretary, Dr. Stegomina Tex, the day before elections on the 2nd of June, she said to us that um, the understanding was that the army would be involved professionally and within the law. So that began to give us an indication that maybe there was a softening of the involvement of the army or the role that the army was expected to play. So uh, when we were driving to a voting station outside of the capital, Maseru, we saw the army. And several people started reporting that the army was uh, going into voting stations and surrounding the voting stations. By end of day, uh, when we went around some voting stations in Maseru, in fact, the army was there um, armed and guarding those voting stations. So understandably, with that history, uh, the Independence Electoral Commission would be shocked. But um, then the chairperson had said to us that they had not requested such support, which is why he was reporting it at the time to observer missions reported to AU, SADAC, Commonwealth, and the Electoral Institute of uh, Sustainable Development for Africa. But subsequently then, the police came out to say that uh, as far as they were concerned, the commissioner of police had the legal right to request support from the army. It had been done in the past and they felt that they needed such support from the army, so then they asked for army deployment. Uh, I tell you, Lulu, right now at 9.30, we are expecting the statement from the observer missions, uh, and we expect them to tell us what it is that they made out of all this in terms of uh, its context to the election. Lulu? Now, Ntakwane, apart from all the army issues and uh, the expected announcement or a discussion briefing by the uh, observer mission, overall, would you say Lesotho's elections this past weekend were free and fair? And uh, what does the Independent Electoral Commission say? Well, as I say, um, I think until the results, are out, all of the results are out, and the IEC delivers a statement. Only then can we expect them to say. But as I say, the observer missions now this morning at 9.30 are expected to deliver their statements in terms of how they saw the election, if it was free, fair, credible. But all of, what, all of them, when we were meeting with them uh, one-on-one as we were going around voting stations on, voter, um, on, the, on the voting day on the 3rd of June, Many of them were saying to us, they see the situation has come, they see people are free to go to voting stations um, as they wish. So they did not pick up any issues that they can say were problems, and they were happy um, that uh, the situation was calm and normal on voting day. But of course, uh, the final say in terms of the assessment of the election, it was fair, free, credible will be today, this morning. Lulu? Now, and how are the Basutu's, um, you know, reaction to um, election day or voting day on Saturday? What are they saying? What are people on the ground saying, speaking as the Basutu nation? 
I think you have people who are saying that it was necessary for this election to happen so that there could be a change of government. But there are those who are saying that uh, it really wasn't necessary for Lesotho to spend near 300 million uh, in order to get probably the same result that would have come out if there was a motion of no confidence, or uh, rather, that, that would have happened if there was floor crossing in Parliament after the motion of no confidence. Because you remember that the motion of no confidence happened after Munyani Muleleki, who was in the Prime Minister's Democratic Congress, broke away with a good number of MPs. And because already the coalition was a coalition of about 65,000 out of 120, if Munyani Muleleki broke away with 9 or 10 members, that would mean that coalition had already lost a majority, which would be 61. So uh, joining forces with the opposition and crossing the floor and forming a new government uh, through a motion of no confidence is what some people say should have been allowed to happen. But of course, you remember that Prime Minister Mosisidi says, look, we tried to do the same thing when Tom Tabani was in power, but he didn't let us. He went to an election. So democratic process requires that people go to elections to get a fresh mandate. And of course, the Deputy Prime Minister repeating those words on Saturday, saying that, in fact, this is not an indication of instability. Uh, it is uh, democratically necessary for people to go to elections. And even quoting uh, Bill Clinton to say, uh, the most expensive piece is always cheaper than the cheapest war. So this is their take in terms of uh, what Saturday should mean. But when we talk to people about uh, whether it was good that they went out to vote, you'll find that some of them didn't even vote, Lulu. The voter turnout in the constituencies is ranging between 38% and 56%. So we're looking to wait for the final vote to come in to see what the average will be. you remember that in 2015, we only had 46.6%. The IEC tried. Uh, to increase that by going on a vigorous campaign to increase it to about 85%. But looking at the results that, that have come in now, it looks very unlikely that the voter turnout was increased. Lulu? When are we to expect uh, final um, results? According to the Independent Electoral Commission, they expect that by end of day today we'll have all the results latest tomorrow morning. We'll have all the results that they will announce um, the final outcome on Tuesday morning. That's when we expect to know exactly who will have won. But remember, even in the last election, the coalition that is governing now uh, announced before the IEC had finished its own announcement that they were going into coalition because they knew. Uh, you will know that they have party agents at voting stations, so they will feed that information to their structures. And so they will know even before the IEC announces how many seats they have. So again, while the IEC is expected to announce the official results tomorrow, uh, we expect that the parties will give us, will start giving us an indication of how they've performed. Yesterday already, we saw the Obasuto Convention celebrating at the results center, meaning that they knew that they had won a lot of the constituencies in Maseru, even though they have not come through officially through the IEC center. Lulu? Ntagwana, very quickly before we, I let you go, are we likely to see another coalition government or is it even a possibility that uh, Lesotho can be um, governed by one party? Look, Lulu, it really depends on how these parties perform, but uh, the Obasuto Convention 
the Alliance of Democrats, the Basutu National Party, the Reform Congress of Lesotho had already expressed intent before the election, even though they didn't go into the election uh, together jointly, they expressed an intent for a government of national unity because they are saying in order for the reforms to happen in Lesotho, those constitutional security, public sector, uh, judiciary reforms, you need a two-thirds majority in parliament and you won't get it if you only have 61 or 65 seats in the National Assembly of 120. So basically what we are looking to see uh, is either that coalition uh, coming in and forming a government of national unity or even the current coalition uh, gaining ground in the rural areas if they do with the remaining results and perhaps staying in power to form another coalition, but definitely a coalition on the cards. Lulu? Ntagwane, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was uh, Ntagwane Ngatana, our reporter in Maseru in the Sutu, giving us the latest on this weekend's Basutu election. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has started the campaign for the 2018 election with the first of a set of youth rallies across the country in a bid to get the youth vote during the first rally in Marondera, east of the country's capital city of Harare on Friday, Mugabe defended his government's often violent land reform program in which whites were evicted to make way for landless blacks. He also promised land for youth. Simon Richema reports from Harare. Friday marked the return of Zimbabwe into an election mood as President Robert Mugabe kicked off his campaign in Marondera, 88 kilometers east of the capital. On the day, 93-year-old Mugabe targeted the youths who constitute the majority in the country, a move political experts say is ironic. Mugabe, who has ruled Zimbabwe for 37 years since independence, appeared clueless on how best to persuade youths to vote for him and resorted to the land issue his trumped each election time since 2000. He contradicted his land's minister, on the decision to invite back former commercial white farmers to improve grain harvest as well as allow farmers to repay bank loans. Mugabe issued a fresh ultimatum for the white farmers to vacate the land. You are now bringing back whites to come back on the farms to start farming. I am not lying, and it is happening, but this is Mugabe said the decision to invite farmers back on the land is reversing the gains of the land reform. Those who were allocated farms when the land exercise started got huge farms under A2 
So that those with multiple farms would hand over some to the landlords. Meanwhile, his wife Grace, known for being outspoken, castigated policy inconsistency in Zimbabwe. To the ministers, on one hand, ZANU-PF youth leader Kudzanai Chipanga had a difficult task selling the party ideology to the young and urged them to be registered and vote for Mugabe. Registration exercise Irkuya, be a registered voter. Go and register to vote. Another youth leader, Kelvin Muchairo, said Mugabe will be life president, despite the new constitution saying otherwise. But Comrade Robert Gabriel Mugabe is our sole candidate for the 2018 state presidential election. In addition, as the youth league of Masholaland East, we declare you our life president. However, the crunch moment came when the ZANU-PF leaders blasphemously equated Mugabe to an angel because of his name Gabriel. Chipanga said the election tone. Gushungo, your name is anointed because of the name Gabriel. Your mother named you Robert, but you are an angel and represent God here on earth. Don't be surprised when going to heaven, with a Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines vote counting is underway in Lesotho with 33 constituencies out of 80 now official former Prime Minister Tom Tabane's 
or Basutu Convention, is leading with 27. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates have cut diplomatic ties with Qatar, accusing it of destabilizing the region, and police in Britain have been searching several properties in London as part of the investigation into Saturday's attack, which left seven people dead and about 50 others injured. Those are the stories making headlines. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. It's 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A global credit rating agency, Standard & Poor's, says South Africa still has a long way before it gets an upgrade on the country's sovereign credit rating. This follows the agency's decision to reaffirm the country's sub-investment rating for foreign denominated debt last Friday. South Africa has been marked down for weak economic growth and high government debt. The agency says the outlook for the economy is negative because political risk is likely to remain high this year. It says it will undermine economic growth and fiscal outcomes. Fitch also affirmed the country's junk status ratings. To talk to us more on this, uh, and on what this means for South Africa, we're joined on the line by Chief Economist at the financial consultancy firm Efficient Group, Davi Root. Davi, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, thank you very much, Lulu. Good morning to you. Now, uh, uh, were you surprised by S&P's decision on Friday? No, no. It was pretty much expected. Uh, the, the financial markets also didn't really react to this. I think more importantly, it's not a decision by these uh, rating agencies, but more importantly, what's going to happen to Moody's. And we're waiting for Moody's to say what they think, uh, what the rating of South Africa should be. No, for, for now, it's certainly no surprise. Why particularly Moody's? Uh, particularly Moody's because we've got two rating agencies that consider South Africa's foreign denominated debt uh, so-called junk or sub-investment grading. And Moody's at the moment still considers that as investment uh, rating. 
uh, and but they are going to review that soon, any day now, and if they also categorize South Africa as so-called junk bonds, then I'm afraid all sort of painful things will happen. For example, if uh, they consider South Africa's foreign denominated debt also as junk bonds, uh, then uh, uh, it is likely to lead to a significant outflow of capital out of South Africa. Now, Davi, just looking at uh, the latest unemployment figures in South Africa, do you think South Africa is on the road to recovery or are we on a continuous downward spiral? I'm afraid the spiral is still downwards. Uh, we uh, economic growth, and I think that is perhaps the single most important number. Economic growth in South Africa likely to be around about 1% this year. It could be lower, it could be slightly higher, but around about 1%. Last year we saw economic growth 0.3%. Chances are next year we're probably going to see economic growth again around about 1% or somewhere there. Uh, so that is certainly not good enough. Now, you can get away with economic growth, weak economic growth for a year or two, but we've experienced very weak economic growth for quite some time now. And keeping in mind that the population is growing at a rate in excess of 1.5% and some other issues like high levels of unemployment and the like, then it, it simply tells us that we as South Africans are slowly getting poorer and poorer. And there's a lot that we need to do in order to make sure that this economy starts growing at a much faster rate. And I'm afraid with the current political instability, the political infighting, uncertainty as far as policy is concerned, and many other factors, I'm afraid economic growth is likely to remain suppressed for quite some time. Now, what, do, what does the country need to do? What does South Africa's government need to do and the people as a whole um, with regards to uh, recovering from these downgrades? Well, as an individual, there are a couple of things that individuals should be doing. One is that you have to be aware of the difficult circumstances out there. You have to plan, you have to save, and just make sure you don't lose your job. That's what an individual needs to do. What a government and what the policymakers need to do is to, first of all, to, 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 to realize that, that in order to get this economy to grow again, we need to make very, very unpopular decisions. And these decisions are things like, for example, cutting back on the size of the state. Uh, uh, do something about the, the absolute horrible state of the state-owned enterprises. Do something about policy, because there's so much policy uncertainty, and I can give you a long list of things that, that I, as an economist, are totally uncertain about, because I get all these conflicting messages from, from government all the way. And perhaps in the end, it is about you and me to make sure that we have a high-quality government that governs South Africa, which certainly is not the case in the, at the moment. Davi, do you think people understand or South Africans understand exactly what um, these downgrades mean by the different uh, um, agencies? Well, broadly speaking, yes. I think the politicians certainly do understand, and I think the man on the street certainly understands that these downgrades are bad for us, and it will lead to all sorts of painful things, which already has happened. So I think, yes, people do understand. But I do think also that our political leaders quite often are more interested in, in their own feathering their own, own nest instead of, uh, of taking the country forward to make decisions that can be quite painful and to be a real leader. So yes, I do think people understand, uh, but it's quite difficult quite often to get leadership uh, to despite these difficulties to take us forward. And I think that is perhaps the single most important pressing issue. Davi, as you mentioned, um, the Moody's ratings is expected any day from now. We're not exactly quite sure, but uh, it is a developing story and one to watch very closely. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you. That was Davi Root, Chief Economist at the financial consultancy firm Efficient Group, joining us live.
It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The South African Communist Party has called for an independent judicial commission of inquiry into state capture to be established immediately. This is in the wake of continuing media reports of a, tra- of a trail of leaked emails cementing perceptions of the wealthy Gupta family's hold over the state. Speaking after the party's Central Committee meeting, SACP General Secretary Bladen Zimande says the emails are worrying. Amos Pajo reports. Weekend reports say the Gupta family bought President Jacob Zuma a mansion worth around 330 million rand in 2015 at an upmarket suburb in Dubai. It is further reported the leaked Gupta emails prove that the house was for President Zuma. The emails reportedly also show that President Zuma's son Duduzani acquired residency of the United Arab Emirates on October 5th in 2015 which expires in October 2018. SACP General Secretary Bladen Zimanda says the reported emails are a cause for concern. Every week, in fact almost every day now, with a barrage of leaked emails and more and more whistleblowers coming forward to the South African Council of Churches and burdening panel, the sheer scale of corporate capture and of parasitic plundering of public resources by the Gupta network becomes more and more evident. Sadly, and even more concerning, the central role of President Zuma and his son in this auctioning of our national sovereignty is also increasingly apparent. Presidential spokesperson Bongani Ngulunga has, however, denied that the president owns a property in Dubai. The story in the Sunday Times newspaper today, 4 June 2017, that President Jacob Zuma owns a palace in Dubai is a fabrication. President Zuma does not own any property outside South Africa and has not requested anybody to buy property for him abroad. The president has also not received or seen the reported emails and has no knowledge of Nzimanda says the leaked emails and the apparent influence of the Gupta family in the state are eroding the ANC's integrity. He says the governing party is headed for a trouble if it doesn't self-correct. It is no secret that the ANC is now in deep crisis. At the highest national leadership level, it is paralyzed by deep divisions that for the moment render it incapable of undertaking the decisive corrective measures that the great majority of ordinary ANC members and supporters now clearly recognize as imperative, beginning with the stepping down of President Zuma. At this rate of decline, the ANC may not retain its electoral majority in 2019, and further organizational fragmentation cannot be ruled out. Meanwhile, the DA has challenged President Zuma to take legal action against the newspaper for publishing false and defamatory information about him and the Gupta brothers. The party says in that way, evidence can be brought forward from either side and the people of South Africa will be afforded the truth in this matter. I'm Amos Powell in Johannesburg. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. 
terre de soleil. Está na companhia do Serviço em Língua Portuguesa do Canal África, a voz de Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Oakland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika mu Africa. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Ride-sharing service Uber in the UK is being accused of profiting from the latest terror attack in London. It has allegedly increased its tariffs in central London following Saturday night's attack in the city. According to media reports, numerous users took to social media to express their anger at the increase in prices, which they say was three or four times higher than usual. Three attackers drove their van into pedestrians on London Bridge and continued to borrow market, where they randomly stabbed people on the street before being shot dead by police. At least eight people were killed and 48 more injured. South Africa's former CEO of the power utility, Brian Molefe, will launch an urgent application over his dismissal in the Labour Court this Monday. He is taking Eskom and Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown to court, saying in court papers that his dismissal was unlawful and should thus be treated as invalid. Molefe was fired by the Power Utilities Board on Friday following a recommendation by the Interministerial Committee on Eskom. Molefe left Eskom under a cloud in November last year after he was implicated in former public protector Tulimatonzela's state of capture report, Eskom's board spokesperson Kulani Goma.
We received papers from him yesterday. He's challenging the lawfulness of his dismissal. So our lawyers then are looking at those papers with a view to, you know, depositing our response at court. The matter appears to be approaching the courts now. Egypt is looking to ramp up petroleum production over the next two years. Once an energy exporter, Egypt has turned into a net importer in recent years, squeezed by declining production and increasing consumption. Egypt has been trying to reverse that trend, speeding up production of oil and gas at recent discoveries. Large natural gas finds are expected to make Cairo self-sufficient in gas by the end of 2018, and it is now looking to make similar progress in petroleum. Meanwhile, Egypt's foreign reserves jumped to 31.126 billion US dollars at the end of May from 28.641 billion dollars at the end of April. The country, which has been struggling to revive its economy since a 2011 uprising, sold 3 billion dollars of euro bonds in May, twice as much as targeted. That uh, confirmed a growing foreign appetite for the country's debt as it follows through with economic reforms aimed at cutting a budget deficit and luring back investors. South African motorists will be paying 25 South African cents less for a litre of both grades of petrol from Tuesday at midnight. The price of diesel will drop by 23 cents a litre and that of illuminating paraffin by 22 cents a litre. The Energy Department says the decrease is due to a drop in international fuel prices and the rand's appreciation against the U.S. dollar in the period under review. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.78 South Africa, 10 Botswana, 9.25 Zambia, 7.7 to the British pound, 8.8 to the euro. Gold $1,276, platinum $946 an ounce, brand crude $49.50 a barrel. I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with football news. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns midfielder Tiani Mabunda has replaced his injured teammate and captain Shompo Gekana in the Bafarabafana team preparing for an African Nations Cup qualifier away to Nigeria on Saturday. Mabunda is part of the six Sundowns players who reported to the Bafana camp yesterday. The first one for newly appointed head coach Stuart Baxter. The Brazilians attack PC Dau is also in the squad and believes that they've got what it takes to defeat Nigeria. Yeah, look, with the national team, there's, there's more to it. You know, still have to see with the new coach and get to talk to him, get his ideas right, the system. So there's still a lot of things to prepare. It's not just a game. Yes. Do you think we have adequate time to prepare for Nigeria? Yeah, I think we do. The, the coach has called good players. You don't need so much time. Just give them their philosophy and they go play football. It's going to be tough, that we know, but and we, the squad is strong. You know, the squad will be South Africa proud and it's about time now we beat Nigeria.
Bafana will train for the first time under Baxter this afternoon. They leave for Nigeria on Wednesday and play in Uyo on Saturday at 1700 hours Central African time. And playing away in Nigeria, Bafana will face a Super Eagles team that has been in camp for the past two weeks and played two international friendlies. Kaiser Chiefs defender Rama Ashwem Pashele is one of the key players in the squad and he believes that Baxter has got a plan that will work. I think we have a good team that's capable of going to Nigeria and getting good results. So we'll go there, you know. The coach has the plan, you know. He's going to tell us his plan and we have to execute the plan. That's that simple. If he wants us to, to win the game in Nigeria, we go and win. If he wants us to get certain results, we'll go there and do what. So we believe he's got a plan for us and we're going to go there and do everything that we can to get positive results, which I believe we can. And the African Confederations Cup holders, TP Mazembe of the Democratic Republic of Congo, drew to all at home to South Africa's Supersport United yesterday in the latest group matches. Mazembe were 2-0 up inside the first 26 minutes thanks to goals from Ben Malango and Rainford Galaba. Supersports launched their fight back with Obrimudiba hitting straight back after Galaba's strike and Tewo hitting a second-half equalizer for the South Africans. With Guinea's Horoya beating Monama of Gabon 1-0 on Saturday, Group D is now tight with three teams level on points. Horoya, Mazembe and Supersport all have five points at the halfway stage of the group phase. Also on Sunday, Zambia Zesco United beat Recreativo Di Bolo 1-0 in Dola to go two points clear at the top of Group C. A goal from Idris Mbombo was enough to give the Zambians the victory. On to cricket news. South Africa's star batsman Hashim Amla joined a, an exclusive club of international players by becoming the fifth batsman to reach 25 ODI centuries in the Proteus 96-run win over Sri Lanka in the ICC Champions Trophy opener at the Oval at the weekend. Amla smashed 103 runs off 115 deliveries to become the fastest man to attain the milestone at the same venue where he hit a triple century against England in Test cricket. Amla holds the record as the fastest player to 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 and 7,000 runs in ODI cricket. The soft-spoken Amla says records have little relevance to him at the moment, even though he's grateful for his feats. Yeah, you get away of it afterwards. Um, but you know what, these, these numbers and those type of things uh, have very little relevance really in a in the greater scheme of things, I'm certainly grateful that to, to get some runs and uh, whatever else comes with it. Uh, but records are meant to be broken, so you know, there's no, there's no sentimental value to it. So you just quite enjoy it and then be grateful and move on. Finally, with box news, the junior Springboks have been beaten. No, rather, they've beaten Georgia 38-14 in their second match at the World Rugby Under-20 Championship at the Avchala Stadium in Tbilisi, in Georgia. After dramatically drawing 23 all with France in the final minute of their opening encounter, the junior box outplayed Georgia, scoring six tries to the two of the opponents. South Africa crossed the white wash through Jono Augustus, Wandisilis Melani, Mani Libok, and Yawe Peng. Jean Luxilius and Kevin Bosch added two conversions each. The junior box will next face Argentina on the 8th of June. That's your sport news this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai That wraps up Africa rise and shine today for myself Lulu Gabu producers Pumutsu Ramagadza technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at childafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rashine Africa or send an SMS on 277 969 And taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa is Tandiswa with a song titled Jigi Jela. Gamate Sobashaya Gamate Komu Zombu Yanindigi Jela Gamate Sobashaya Oh.